Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans. We praise you that you have sent your Son, Jesus, to be a light that shines through the darkness such that the darkness cannot overcome him. We thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus, as God's Word made flesh to dwell in our midst, to reveal your character and your love to us, to tabernacle among us, to live among us to become a temple among your people such that your character, your radiance, your beauty, your love would flow forth from his very person. We pray, Lord, that we could meet him today through the words of your scripture. And we ask that as we meet him, we would be compelled by his grace, that we would be enveloped by his love, that we would be overwhelmed by his attention and his care to us, that we would be convicted by his relentless pursuit of us such that we want nothing more than to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with you, and to look more and more like him. Draw us into your son, Jesus Christ. Incorporate us into his body among the church. And teach us what it means to live in mission. This we pray in the name of the same Lord, Jesus Christ. He who in the unity of the Holy Spirit lives and reigns with you, one God now and forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. and We'll pick up in verse 13 and go through the end of the chapter. I invite you to hear this word. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he himself knew what was in everyone. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the greatest cultural realities in the South and really throughout the United States, but especially in the Southeast, 
is college football tailgating. It's a cultural phenomenon that requires a tremendous amount of effort, or at least it used to. Now sometimes you can get away with paying someone else to do most of it for you. Tailgating developed because people wanted to make a whole day affair of going to the game, or maybe they just didn't want to sit in traffic, or whatever it was. Logistics led them to think that it was the best use of their time to pull in their truck to a parking spot and to set up food on the tailgate of their truck and to enjoy a little bit of time in fellowship with other people. This is the basis of tailgating. It's why we call it that. But now in tailgating, it'll be, you'd be hard-pressed to find any tailgates involved because it grew to include tents and more and more and more complicated food and drinks and tables and sometimes chandeliers and often catering and televisions with satellite connections and on and on the practice has grown into this cultural phenomenon, totally separate from the name at this point. And to get all of that set up requires a great deal of commitment. You've got to navigate traffic patterns. You've got to figure out how to keep cold food cold and keep hot food hot and cook some food. You've got to figure out where people are going to sit and what clothes you're supposed to wear that week and how to get everything to and from the place where you're going to tailgate. It's a lot of commitment to take care of all of those logistics. And of course, to make sure you've got a little bit extra for whoever comes by so that you can share that with them too. You can go to all that work or you can pay someone else to set up your tent and your TV and to cater it all and it will be just as enjoyable, if not more. And it'll all be there waiting for you when you arrive. And afterwards, it will all be cleaned up for you with no trouble. If an alien anthropologist was to come and to look at our culture, one of the most significant things that they would identify as a religious event would be these Saturdays in the fall, six or seven or eight times that Hundreds of thousands of people sometimes, at least tens of thousands of people in Mississippi, gather in one place to go to these outdoor temples and to worship together. And while Christians, hopefully at least, recognize that sports aren't worthy of our worship, football actually helps us understand this passage just a little bit. First of all, because people love their stadiums. But more than that, they love what happens in the stadiums. What, what happens on the field matters more than what the stadium looks like. If you don't believe me, talk to a team with a dilapidated stadium who just won a championship or the team with the best stadium who had a terrible year. So, so it is with the temple. The, the temple and all of its beauty and majesty matters. But Jesus wants us to know that it's not the most important thing. That what happens inside the temple is the most important thing. 
We've got to be careful here not to think too simply that the temple is just like our beautiful sanctuary where we're surrounded by stained glass and, and a beautiful beadboard ceiling and old pews that are rounded and create a beautiful shape for us to worship as one congregation. The temple was much grander than our sanctuary and the temple was the only one of its kind. There are Christians who worship all over the world and even all over town on Sunday mornings here in Winona in their own sanctuaries. But the temple in Jerusalem was the one place that you could go to do certain things, to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And sometimes it was even more specific than that, that that on certain days only certain people could offer certain sacrifices to the Lord that needed to be offered on behalf of all of the people. Like the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when Israel would uh, would make sacrifice for their sins, seeking the forgiveness of God. And there were other things that that individuals had to do to offer sacrifices on their own behalf. And they would have to go to the temple to do that and get priests to help them as well. This is what happened before Passover. The people would want to spiritually prepare themselves for Passover. And so they would go to the Lord who lived in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in the the sanctuary inside the temple where they weren't allowed to go, but the priests could go once a year. And they would offer sacrifice to the Lord. They would take cattle or sheep or doves as they went. And so especially before Passover, as they were getting ready for this big festival, people would make their way to Jerusalem from all over Israel and all over the world to offer their sacrifices to God. And just like with tailgating, they they could bring their own stuff. They could tie a rope around their cow's neck and they could take it with them all the way to Jerusalem and find a place to feed it along the way and a place to secure it while they slept. Or they could wait till they got to the temple to buy it. Could all be taken care of for them right there. They, They might have to pay a little bit more, but... They would have everything they needed right there at the Temple Mount. So there was quite a market that developed right there at the temple, just just outside the temple, but up the steps on on this grand area where there were people who were selling cattle and sheep and doves, these things that individuals would offer as a sacrifice to God. It was much easier to let someone else handle the logistics of getting those animals up on the temple mount. So you might have to pay a little bit more. But you also didn't have to wrangle in your own cow or oxen from 12 miles away as you walked into Jerusalem. And there was another thing that people had to take care of when they were at the temple too. At least once a year, every Israelite male had to pay a half a silver coin in a temple tax. The temple that they'd been building for 46 years needed to be funded for uh, the ongoing development and for future maintenance. So they were all required to give a half a silver coin. 
And not all the currencies had reliable uh, amounts of silver in them, so you had to use one specific type of coin to pay. So as people came from all over the place with all of their different currencies, there were other people who found a way to make a living by exchanging all of these other currencies for the one type of coin you could use to pay your temple tax. These are the famous money changers. And all of this wouldn't have happened inside the temple. It would have happened on the temple complex, at the temple mount is what they called it. Not in the holiest part of the temple or even in the temple itself, but just outside where everyone could gather. And this created a bit of a problem because Gentiles were not allowed in the Jewish temple, but they might want to worship the Jewish God. So some of them would take pilgrimages all the way to the temple, even though they couldn't go inside, just to worship God. But when all of the Temple Mount has become a buzzing marketplace, it's no longer really possible for them to have reflective time of worship. Everybody else is selling things with all of the animal noises and sounds and smells and sights and everything else. So there's a lot going on here as we start this story about Jesus. The story that follows directly on the heels of Jesus providing wine to the wedding at Cana, which follows right on the heels of John 1, where we learn Jesus' identity as the one who made the world and has come to save it. Jesus is here on the Temple Mount, and other people have established businesses that meet the market and religious needs of the day. People are trying to fulfill their religious obligations, and other people are there to sell them things as they have need. And they might be taking advantage of people who find themselves in Jerusalem needing to offer a sacrifice a little more than they should. Like a football stadium charging you $12 for a piece of Domino's pizza and $8 for a Coke. Maybe not that exactly, but it's possible, realistic even, that they aren't charging entirely fair prices for their animals. And all of the hubbub around here is impeding on Gentiles' ability to worship. It's hard to worship in the middle of a giant marketplace with live animals. And this is the scene that Jesus comes into. Passover is near, so it's the busy season. Lots of people are coming to offer their sacrifices. Lots of people are coming to pay their temple taxes. And Jesus is unhappy with what's going on. So he takes some cords and he makes a whip and he drives out all of the cattle, which are very valuable, And all of the sheep that are very valuable. And he dumps out all of the money changers' money. And he looks at the people who are selling doves and he tells them to get out. Because they have made his father's house a marketplace. And his disciples encounter all of this, at least as they remember it, in vividly religious ways. Zeal for your house will consume me, they say. And after his resurrection, they start to see even more clearly how Jesus' ministry is shaped and understood significantly by this particular story. This story 
that the other gospel writers all tell at the beginning of Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life. But John tells it at the very beginning of his ministry because he wants us to see this as programmatic. To see all of Jesus' ministry through his resurrection and through what happens here at the temple. The story is so powerful that John wants to tell it first. So we see the rest of what Jesus has done in the light of this story. He, he wants you to see that this story is connected to Jesus' death and resurrection. Give us a sign that you have the right to do this. You have the right to come in and interrupt the Temple Mount economy. You have the right to prevent people from buying the things that they need to offer the sacrifices that they need to be ready for the festival that we're about to have. What, what gives you permission to do this? Show us some sign that you have the right to interrupt all of this commerce. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you a sign. Destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the people who are there at the temple who are marveling at its beauty, at its construction, at its handiwork, say, Herod's been extending this temple. He's been expanding its grounds for 46 years. This temple has existed since the restoration of Israel when we came back from exile. And now it's become even more grand over the last half a century. And you say as one individual that in three days you can rebuild the whole thing? It turns out that when it comes to Jesus, the temple is very important. But what's more important than the temple is what happens inside the temple And then when we think about Jesus, the temple itself isn't that necessary at all. Because Jesus himself is the temple. You don't don't have to go to the temple and depend on a priest to offer sacrifice of some animal that you've had to buy for you. You don't have to have cattle or sheep or doves. You don't need the temple tax and the right coinage to come to Jesus because Jesus becomes for us both the priest and the sacrifice. Not at the temple, but on the hill of Calvary. Jesus becomes both the priest and the sacrifice. Not in a beautifully ornate temple that took 46 years of all of Herod's army to build. But right there on Calvary. Outside the city. Outside the city. On a hill that looked like a skull. What happens at the temple matters. It happens enough for Jesus to go in and clear everything out and run out the animals and create mass confusion even a stampede, and to dump people's hard-earned money on the floor and to look at people who are selling doves and tell them to stop making his father's house a marketplace. What happens at the temple and even outside of the temple matters to Jesus. But when they start asking him how he can prove that he has a right to do these things, he no longer is talking about the temple 
the temple that they're standing in. He's talking about the temple of his body, the temple of his person, that in Christ God is abiding with humanity, that he's made his tabernacle, he's made his dwelling place among us. And if they destroy him three days later, he is going to rise. And they can conceive of the ridiculousness of Jesus trying to rebuild this grand temple in three days. But what is beyond their imagination, what's not even up for consideration, is the fact that they would ever destroy the temple of the Lord. It's been way too much work. They love it way too much. What happens in the temple matters to Jesus. But what's more important, what's even more important, is that what happens in the temple doesn't have to always happen in the temple. It was never about the temple. It was always about how the people of God could interact with and encounter God himself. How they could enter into right relationship with God. And that's why Jesus matters so much. He is God in the flesh. His body is itself the holy of holies. So when they crucify him, and the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is torn down, it's because they are destroying the temple. The temple of God that is the flesh of Jesus. The the Jews are certain that no one would ever destroy the temple. Why would any Jewish person ever destroy the one place that they can relate to God? Why would they ever destroy the dwelling place of their Lord? It's beyond their imagination to think they would tear it apart. But that's exactly what they do when they crucify Jesus. It's not the thing that they're certain is impossible for Jesus to do that catches up with them. It's the thing that they're sure they would never do. They would never destroy the temple until they do. Our sanctuary, this beautiful space, is iconic. The the bell tower is recognizable almost anywhere. And the stained glass is a part of our congregational identity. We missed it so much when it was gone. We've got a whole complex beyond our sanctuary. We've got the Family Life Center and the Fellowship House and the Youth Hut and the Education Building and the Parking Lot and the Playground. We've got this whole, this whole more, mount of more memorial. And what happens here? The ministry that happens in this space is incredibly important. But it is not about the buildings and it has never been about the buildings or the things inside of them. It has always been about what God does inside of these buildings. And let's be honest, if God doesn't need the temple, which was destroyed about 40 years after Jesus died, and despite multiple efforts to rebuild it, now there's a a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, on top of the Temple Mountain. If God doesn't need the temple, 
the one place that Jews could go to sacrifice to the Lord. He, he doesn't need our building complex either. Because it's not about the buildings. It's what God is up to both inside and outside of our buildings. Because if the Holy Spirit dwells within us, those of us who are true believers, our bodies are temples too as we are incorporated into the body of Christ. So what happens in the building is important, but is not limited to happening in the building. It can happen anywhere that God shows up. What happens in our church matters. The possibility for us to be together in worship matters. If we haven't learned anything else in the last year, it's that it is good for us to be together. It matters that a lot of folks came through our church complex yesterday and were able to purchase clothes and receive baby food and have things to decorate their houses or to make themselves comfortable or safe or warm for better than reasonable prices. It matters that we have space to worship God together. It matters that we have space to disciple kids and youth and even adults, in space that's dry and that's safe and that's warm in the winter and cool in the summer. These things are important to us. But it's not about the buildings. It's about what happens in the buildings that really matters. That the buildings help us in our mission that God has called us to. We can't get so focused on the building that we miss what God is doing right in front of us when God himself is right in front of us. We can't get so focused on the building that we miss what God is doing in us and through us and sometimes despite us. Inasmuch as our buildings make it possible for us to relate to God, praise be to God. And inasmuch as what we do in our buildings prevents others from praising God or sets a price for admission, shame on us. I want one thing for you. It's the same thing that I want for myself. And it is exactly why God has done everything he has for us. So that we can know Jesus and abide in his love. And inasmuch as the buildings become idols for us, they prevent us from seeing how God is at work in the world. Jesus was concerned about the temple. He was concerned about what was happening inside the temple. And the temple was his body. And we become part of that temple when we are grafted into his body at baptism, which, by the way, we do in this building and sometimes outside of it. The church continues to be his body, not the organization, but the organism. The church is the body of Christ. And so I wonder if you are going to let Jesus into your life into your body, into your temple to deal with the clutter that is there. With the cattle and the sheep and the doves that you're thinking might let you make a little bit of profit, 
but instead they are distracting you from the thing that God really wants for you, a relationship with him. I wonder if sometimes the way we set up our leadership in our church leads our leaders to be so busy making sure everyone has the right change and the right animals to sacrifice that they've lost sight of the God who's right in front of them. I wonder if you, in this season of Lent, are willing to let Jesus come into your life, your temple, and clean it up and purify it so that you aren't letting your temple be distracted from the thing it was made for. And I wonder if we're willing to do that as a church, to let God knock away any and all of the things that we do and invest in that don't drive us into his mission. Are we willing to let God purify our work so that inside the building and outside the building, his will is done by us? Or will we be so intent on coming to the building that we miss the Lord? As we worship together in person today, we're going to get to share in communion. And I long for the day when, when all of you who are continuing to need to worship virtually are able to be with us. And in communion, we encounter Jesus. In communion, we encounter the Lord. We become partakers of and participants in the sacrifice that he offers for us in his death and resurrection as our high priest. He invites us to a table that we could never afford the sacrifice. And he gives it. He gives it to us. He gives himself to us for free. He offers us himself. In doing so, he offers us the opportunity to enter into relationship with him and to abide with him and to become like him and to live in the love of his father. May God bless you this week as you seek to love and serve the Lord. Amen.